Um, uh, but just letting you know where we are. And, and for everybody else, we're coming to, uh, this is the last big story about Peter. Peter only appears one more time in the book of Acts. And then Saul kind of takes over. But I'm calling this today, God is a warrior. God is a warrior. Uh, in the Old Testament, if, if, in your English Bibles, a lot of times it says Lord of hosts. That word host literally means angel armies. And so he is the God of angel armies. You might hear that in a contemporary song. That's where it comes from. Malachi 1.8 calls him the Lord of hosts. And many times in the Bible, he's called Lord of angel armies. In other words, we're in a war. And I want today, as we look at what happens here, Peter gets arrested and, and uh, God delivers him in a miraculous way. But behind the scenes, the church is praying. And there's a whole lot of things in these 19 verses. I'd rather take like one or two verses and spend a couple hours on it. So taking 19 verses and spending, you know, 30, 45 minutes, two hours, whatever. Um, sometimes that's uh, frustrating. So I hope uh, we'll, we'll get what we need out of this today and, and that you'll study it further. But if you'll open your Bibles to that chapter and those verses and stand up, we're going to read them together um, just to help us out and to get us all located. Because I'm not going to say everything in every verse and uh, this will give you at least some context. Beginning in verse 1, about that time Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayers for him was made to God by the church. And I shouldn't have put an S on that. Earnest prayer was made for him by, to God by the church. Verse 6. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself, put on your sandals. He did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what, he, that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. And when Peter came to himself, he said, Now I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all, the, all that the Jewish people were expecting. And when he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice and her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. And they said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now, when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. And then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, 
We come to your throne today thanking you for what you have done for us in Christ. Thanking you that you indeed are our chain breaker. And you are a wonderful, strong, mighty God. Lord, we pray that this day you would open our heart and minds to behold wonderful things out of your word. But Lord, when we see what your spirit reveals to us through your word, Lord, may we be quick to obey what you command us. Quick to uh, do what you are showing us. And Lord, in doing so, may we advance your kingdom and glorify your name. For it's in the name of Christ we ask it. Amen. Thank you. And y'all be seated. I don't know if you've ever been in a spot like Peter was. I mean, it's a pretty violent spot, right? If anybody ever needed a warrior, it was at this point Peter needed a warrior. This, in that text, we get to the point where it's the night before Peter is to be executed, okay? And, and that's, God actually rescues him the night before his execution. You see, God is always on time. He's never late. But he's never early either. <laughs> and so Peter comes right up to the door before God delivers him. It's a great, it's an amazing story. But I'm sure that maybe, I mean, we've all been foolish children, right? We've done things we didn't know were dangerous. And God kind of spared us from them. I, the, the, maybe the closest I ever came to maybe literally dying, I, I'm not sure. Actually, I can think of a couple other times. But um, this one is a more fun story to tell. I, I, was, I was driving uh, in, in, in Charleston in a 70 Chevelle, just to set the picture. Yeah, I had a 70 Chevelle. Can you believe I ever, ever even sold that thing? Oh, man. Uh, but anyway, so I'm coming around this curve, and a street came out to the point of that curve, and it's a little bit blind. And as I did, this guy blows the stop sign so he can see what's coming. And he stopped right in front of me, and I'm thinking, I'm going to kill the guy. Because I'm rolling. I mean, it's 55 mile an hour. I'm doing at least that. And, and I'm headed his way. And I saw him. And I'm not that great of a driver. Actually, I am. But I'm pretending like I'm not. And uh, I'm not that great. I'm just kidding. And I, so I spun the wheel. And next thing I know, that car is sideways. And I'm sliding right at him. And I'm looking over my left shoulder. He's looking over his left shoulder. And we're looking at each other as I'm approaching. So he punched it and got out of the way. So when he moved, I spun it the other way, and the car turned back around. I went and shot into somebody's driveway, slammed on brakes, got stopped, and then sat there for 15 minutes so I could collect myself. You know what I mean? And then I got mad, like, that dude pulled out in front of me. And I wanted to pull out and chase him, but he was gone by then. And uh, it, it took Carrie Underwood a few years to come along, because that was way back in, like, the <laughs> 70s to write, Jesus, take the wheel. But I'm telling you, that night... I, I, I believe Jesus actually took the wheel. He, he rescued me. I didn't even have time to pray. I'm sure I prayed. I'm sure I said, oh, Lord, help me or something. I, I, I didn't have time to, you know, get on my knees and say, oh, most heavenly Father who dwells in heaven and earth. You know, it was more like, help! You know, woof. But, but God spared me from that. And, God, you know, there have been other times God rescued me. But hardly any of us have I, I, ever been at that point where we know in the next second we might die. Or, or we should die, and, and we don't. And, and yet Peter, in the midst of that, is totally unconcerned. I, here's what I want you to take home with you today. God is a warrior. The Bible says he is the God of hosts. In fact, um, Moses' sister wrote that song after the children of Israel came through the dry ground in the Red Sea and, and God holds the army of Egypt back until they get through and then he moves his presence and they take off after him and then the ocean drowns them and Mary went, man, our God is a warrior. And she, she wrote a song about that. You can read it in the book of Exodus if you'd like. And so just click the slide. Here's what I want you to take home with you today. When we pray, we abandon ourselves to God and become shipwrecked on his purposes. That's really a quote from Vance Havner who said, we must come to the place 
where we're abandoned to God and shipwrecked on his purposes. And I, I believe that. I believe that with all my heart. If we're not there, we, we, we're not in that place where God, we can be most effective. God can most effectively use us. Well, in this text today, there's a character you've heard of before, a guy named Herod. Right, And there's three Herods mentioned in the New Testament. This is the one in the middle. His, great, his grandfather is the one that is mentioned in the book of Matthew concerning the birth of Jesus. And his granddaddy was one bad dude. I mean, he was an evil guy. He killed several of his own sons. He killed his wife and three of her sons, one of his wives. And one of the sons he killed is this Herod's dad. Okay? But that Herod was very, very powerful. And the most awful thing he did, you see, that Herod was declared by Caesar to be the king of the Jews. He set him up in Palestine, and he governed the most area in Palestine until his grandson ever. And so he, Rome gave him the title king of the Jews. Well, somewhere between Jesus' birth and two years later, the wise men show up. Y'all know that story, right? Now, if, if you don't know, I, I don't mean to ruin anything for you, but next Christmas when you put out your nativity scene, take the wise men and put them across the room. Because they didn't get there for about two years, okay? But, but we can't preach one thing, you know, one Christmas and wait two years to tell you about the other, so we just tell you all at the same time. But it, was, but it was about two years later, and they saw his star, and they start following it, and the star disappears, because God, I guess, has, has a plan, and, but... This evil man does an evil thing in that plan. And they go down to the palace and knock on the door and they ask Herod, Hey, where's the guy that was born king of the Jews? Because we saw a star in the east and we came to worship him. What do you mean king of the Jews? I'm the king of the Jews. But Herod being the deceitful guy, he smiles and goes, Oh, let me get some guys to help out. And says, look it up. And so they looked it up and said, Bethlehem. Okay. And Herod says, I'll, I'll take care of this. And of course, the wise men went their own way. And, and, and he said, go, go worship him. And when you're done, come back and let me know where he is so I can worship him too. Remember? Little snake. And so the wise men go, and the Bible says, and they were warned by God not to go back to Herod. So they went home a different route. And so Herod kills every little boy under two years old in Bethlehem and the area around it. Trying to kill the one born king of the Jews. Now that's horrible. That is hideously horrible. Our governor would do that. He said that out of his own mouth. He would. We kill 4,000 unborn children today in America. So, you know, what Herod did was awful. And we ought to be horrified by it. But I hope you never voted for one of those guys that believe in doing that. Sorry, my... Sugar's going a little high, and it'll do that occasionally, but it's okay. We're good. I took insulin. I'll be fine. Herod was an awful guy, and his grandson is going to follow in his footsteps. This Herod is a violent man as well. He's, he's trying to kind of finish off what, what his granddaddy started, but this guy, he was, a, he was a party animal. He ran up some debts. He said something against Tiberius, who was Caesar. Tiberius has him arrested. Then when Tiberius dies, they let him go. He goes to Palestine. He becomes the ruler of Palestine. Later on, he gets even more territory. And now he rules as much territory as his granddaddy Herod did. And this is the second Herod. And the third one is Herod Agrippa that Paul's going to talk to later in the book of Acts. That's the third Herod uh, that is revealed in the scripture. Because this one's not going to last much longer. Uh, the very next passage 
talks about how he dies because he took credit belongs only to God. But we'll get there uh, later on. And so this Herod, because he'd had trouble in Rome, he had gambling debts, or, or debts, not gambling, he had debts that he never paid. He got in bad with the Caesars and all. And then he comes here and he's ruling. He had to keep the Jewish people happy so they would say he was a good ruler so Rome wouldn't jerk him back out of there. And so he wants to play to the Jews. Well, if you remember last week when we were talking about the, the Greek uh, Gentile people being saved, and it, it did two things. Number one, it, it reveals to us that the Gentiles could be saved and that Peter didn't have to go, that the Holy Spirit comes when people get saved. But also it reveals that Christianity is getting separated from Judaism because it was never meant to be just a Jewish thing. It was meant to be for all people, right? So as it begins to separate, the Jewish leaders start going, wait, you're, you're leaving us now? And so they, they start really not liking the church now. They, they didn't like it to start with, but it was all Jewish. So it's sort of like your child that acts up, well, I don't like it, but he's still my child. But now they're breaking off and the Jewish leaders really don't like it. And so this Herod, to make them happy, says, well, let me uh, help you out. And so he arrests some of them, and in the midst of that, he gets James, the brother of John. And it's identified because the Bible says James again later after this guy dies. And just once you know, the Bible's not confused. It's a different James. But this is James the Apostle, the brother of, of John the Apostle, who is Jesus' best friend. And, and if you don't know or you don't remember, or just let me remind you, that Jesus picked 12 men, one of them he knew was the devil, to, to betray him. And that was Judas's purpose uh, in, in life, was to betray Christ. But whenever he had something going on, he would tell everybody. But when he had something really special, he would pull Peter, James, and John aside and teach them even more. Because he was making them to be leaders. This is only about 20 years or so after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And James is arrested and martyred. He's the only apostle whose death's recorded in the New Testament. And he's the first apostle to be killed. And only after about 20 years. Sometimes, don't you wonder, why would Jesus spend all that time training James to only let him live 20 years of, of service? That sounds like a lot if you're, if you're younger, but trust me, 20 years isn't that long. All right? I got socks at home that are older than that. So, I didn't wear them today, so don't panic, but... Just kidding, just a joke. But, but why would he do that? I, you know, sometimes we don't know. Why would God let people die? Sometimes God gets more glory out of people's death than their life. And I, I don't know why that would be with James. And the Bible doesn't give us an explanation, nor does it owe us one. Uh, in heaven, if you're still curious, I'm sure God will explain it. Or James will let you know, hey, it was fine, man. I, look, what, look what my brother had to go through. He had to hang around for like 50 more years. He was an old dude. He was ready to come home when he came up here, but... You know, we, we kind of think only about our grief and the death of a loved one instead of thinking about the joy that that loved one is having in heaven when they, when they are saved. Uh, so anyway, James gets martyred. And if you'll notice, he says he kills James, the brother of John, with a sword. And when he saw it pleased the Jews, he arrested Peter. He said, you know what, if that made them happy, let me get their leader. Because Peter is, of course, the identified leader of the church. Jesus had made him so. He's put himself out there. He, he was at Pentecost. He's when uh, the Samaritans get saved. He's when the first uh, Gentile gets saved in Cornelius in chapter 10. Everybody knows that Peter's the guy you go to when you got a question because he is the head of, he's basically the head of the church. Now, 
so, the, so Herod goes, well, if that made you happy, watch this, and he arrests Peter. Now, in this text, here's a couple of things you catch. He arrests him before the feast of the Passover, but after everything had already gotten started. And that t- lets us know something, that Herod is smart. He wants to kill Peter when there's still a lot of Jewish people around, but he doesn't want to mess up their festival. So he's going to let the uh, Passover happen, and then before everybody goes home, he's going to say, y'all, y'all hang around, you're going to want to watch this, I'm going to put Peter to death for you. We know that the Jewish people knew that because later on Peter says, that as the Jewish leaders expected. In other words, they knew that Peter is going to be put to death. And they are happy about it. They're telling Herod, you the man. That's right. Go for it. Kill him. We'll be glad uh, when you do that. So he seizes Peter, puts him in prison, delivers him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him. Let me just explain that. When I read that, that made me curious. Might not make you curious. Made me curious. So it's four groups of soldiers. Each group has four men in it. Okay? So you've got 16 men. And they would take turns. They would rotate. The ones guarding the tomb of Jesus was four squads of soldiers of four men each. And they rotated every 15 minutes so nobody fall asleep. Because if you fell asleep, you get put to death for falling asleep on duty. So I don't know if the same thing applied to these, but it's four guards at a time. Two of them are chained to the prisoner and two of them stand outside the door to make sure nobody gets in. Or nobody gets out, either way. So you got four, I would think, rugged Roman soldiers. These guys have seen death, they've seen war, they're not... They're not neophytes, they're, they're strong men. And they are given to guard Peter so he can't get out. Now, Peter's just a fisherman. He's not even going to try to escape. No point in it, he figures, I guess. And so they put him in prison, put the four guards over him, and they're waiting till right after Passover to bring him out to the people. It says it right there, intending to do that. So Peter was kept in prison, but... Here's a glorious but of the Bible. But always negates what comes before it. Don't forget that. If it says nevertheless, it's built on what comes before it. If, I, I was telling the new members class today, if you ever see the word uh, therefore or nevertheless, something like that in the Bible, you need to see what it was there for. It, read what came before it because it's setting something up before it tells you the, the next thing. The but always says, yeah, Peter's been arrested, he's in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now notice, it's coming from the church. Notice who it's addressed to. It's to God, and the subject was Peter. But out of all that, there's a very interesting word there, the word earnest. Your your Bible may say fervent, um, and that's fine. It's just different English translations, the same word. But that word caught my attention, so I looked it up. And it comes from a medical term. It is a, it, it's taking a medical term and twisting it just a little bit to put it in here. But it, it comes from a, a, the word, well, let me spell the word for you in English, just, just so you know. Um, it's, uh, it starts with E-K, which means to come out of, basically. And then T-E-N-E-S. And it's, we get an English word from this word. And it's T-E-N-D-O-N, tendon. In Greek, it's tenes or tennis, ectenes, which means you strain the muscle to its limit just before it pops. That's what the word earnest means in prayer. They were about to bust a gut praying 
They're going as far as they can go in prayer. They're giving every ounce of energy to it. This word is also in a word group uh, that is also interesting. And in, in that the Bible uses this word group in the life of the believer where it talks about love in 1 Peter 4, 8, that we ought to love each other. It means strain it to the point of breaking. It is also used for worship or service. Worshiping God and serving God. All of our service should be a worship of God. Romans 12, 1 and 2 shows us that as well. And so it says, in our worship and service to God, we ought to strain it to the point of breaking. And then also in prayer that we see here. This is the very word used when Jesus is praying in the garden and sweats, he's sweating blood. He was straining so hard that his capillaries were popping in his skin and he started bleeding out through his skin. And the Bible tells us the angels came and ministered to him in the garden so he wouldn't die of blood loss right there. Because that's what was about to happen. He was under such stress and strain. And so I want you to think about that. When is the last time as a church we all prayed to the point of hurting ourselves? That you're so intense in prayer that you are just praying with all your might. Now, I don't think God hears us better because we strain the more. But this shows how dedicated they were to praying. I, I've told you all before about my African housemate who I asked him one time. He was an older man and I was a younger man. I asked him what he missed most about Africa and he said, prayer meeting. I said, we have prayer meetings here. He said, no, you don't. I said, sure we do. On Wednesday nights we have prayer meeting." He said, no, he said, when I say prayer meeting, I mean we meet at 6 o'clock in the evening and we begin to pray and we pray till 6 o'clock in the morning and nobody sleeps and, nobody, and we don't wait on each other to pray. We all pray at the same time for 12 hours straight. I said, you're right, we don't have any prayer meetings here. <laughs> now, I would think that almost defines earnest prayer. But... Again, Vance Abner said, the problem today is that the times are desperate, but the church is not. This church had a desperate situation. They knew that prayer has to happen, and only God is going to be able to do anything that, because it, it is so important to pray. So they prayed to the extent that they were capable of. But then that brings us to Peter's rescue. And man, this is a cool story. It, it tells us so much in here, it, it's great. I'm going to try to hit it so you can look at it more later. But in verse 6, now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night. So we know, okay, tomorrow it's going to happen. The Bible's setting up the scene. I told you that before we got started good. That, that Peter is going to die the next day. Peter knows it. The church knows it. The Jewish leaders know it. And the Rome, Rome obviously knew it. And that very night, Peter is sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door regarding the prison. Now, you can read that very casually, but there's something in there that's just weird. Peter is chained between two guards on a cold, hard floor in a prison the night before his execution, and he's asleep. Now, I'm a heavy sleeper. If I get still, I fall asleep, okay? I, I'm of an age now that you don't want me to relax too much. I got one of those stand-up desks because I get sleepies when I'm studying during the week. I have to stand up and do stuff, just keep from falling asleep. Done that many times. If, you, if you've been a student, you've probably done that. Stand up to read or study or whatever. And, and so I don't get, get it when you're a light sleeper, but my wife is a light sleeper. So that doesn't work too well, I can just tell you. 
she, she, just a little bit of light will wake her up, a little bit of noise. And that, another, that I didn't tell you, another time I almost died that I made a noise and woke her up and she saved my life. So uh, I owe her big time. Um, not counting the 31 years and three kids. But anyway, um, <laughs> y'all loosen up a little bit. Come on, man. <laughs> Peter is asleep. I just think that sometimes we don't think about death the way we should. I've kind of hinted at that already. And anything I'm about to say, and because I, I never know what, that, what is coming next, but I, I do want to make sure you understand this. I'm not being disrespectful. If you've lost a loved one, I've lost loved ones. Most of my parents have passed on. I've got cousins and others that have died, friends. And, and, and I understand the sorrow because we all have sorrow at death. Because we're humans, and somebody we know is gone, and it it's, seems so final. It just seems like there's no, no answer to that. But when we begin to think as Christians, we realize, I'm only sad because of me, not because of them. I'm only sad at what I lost, not at their gain. And so that's why the Bible says, we, we grieve, but not as those who have no hope. <laughs> because we have hope that if they knew Christ, they're in heaven... And that we can know Christ and we're going to join them one day. And I promise you, I, I say this to myself a lot. I promise you when my loved ones die that, that are in Christ and they're in heaven, they wouldn't come back for love nor money. They wouldn't come back to be ruler of this world. They wouldn't come back for anything once they see the face of Christ. I, I just believe that with all my heart. So they're not sad. And now they get, somebody said, do you think the people in heaven can see us? And I said, sure. And they say, but wouldn't that make them sad to see us struggling? I go, no, because they get God's perspective. See, everything God does is good because he's a good God and you only do good. So whatever's in your life, it's good for you. You say it doesn't feel good. I didn't say it feel good. I said it was good. It might hurt. It might be miserable. It might be suffering. But if you say, God, you know what? You're good and if this is your gift, I rejoice in this. Peter rejoices at everything God does for him here. Paul and Silas later in Acts, and in the song we sang, it says he's a prison shaker. That's when the prison shook is when Paul and Silas were there. And, and they were praising God, chained up, beaten, and they were sitting there singing hymns. Why? Because Paul said it later, or at some point, he said, This momentary light affliction is not worthy to be compared to the glory that's on the way. I, I just love that thought and that idea. And so Peter's. Okay, tomorrow's it. God, I, Christ was done with James. I guess he's done with me too. Get to go see James now. You know, we've been hanging out together for over 20 years. So uh, I, get, I get to be next. Well, I'm going to take a nap because I want to be good and rested when I have to face the executioners tomorrow. And I know that Peter is sleeping hard because of what happens next. You read it. Notice it says, and behold, sort of like, Wow, all of a sudden, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in the cell. I don't know how it works in heaven. I've, I've got these weird ideas in my head, but I can't prove them. So this ain't Bible, okay? But this is just how I see it. Every once in a while, I'll let you look into my head a little bit. But it's a scary place, so I don't want to terrify you. But I'm thinking that since angel messengers that look like Angels appear very few times to men in the Bible, that it must be kind of a special privilege. I mean, Gabriel is the guy that gets to talk to Daniel and Mary and, and 
you know, and I, I got a feeling that like it was Gabriel and Michael that come and talk to Jesus and stuff in his life. So it's like God looks around and maybe this wasn't Gabriel. Maybe this is another cherubim or something that's just hanging around the throne. And God just kind of looks around and goes, hey, uh, um, Leroy, come here. You don't think there's an angel named Leroy? I think there is. but And Leroy goes, me? Yeah, yeah, come here. Look, Peter's in prison, and I need somebody to go set him free. Would you do it? Yeah, Lord, I'd be glad to do that. May I get to minister to your redeemed? Absolutely. Because look what it says. He just appears with a bright light. Can you see Leroy going, man, I'm going to ham this one up. I get the chance. He goes flying into that prison cell and boom, sword out, flaming, bright light. And all he gets from Peter is. <laughs> How do I know that? Because look what it says. He had to kick him in the side. Get up. <laughs> Peter goes, what? Peter is dead asleep. What trust Peter had. It says he stood next to him, light shone in the cell. Then he struck Peter in the side and woke him saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said, put on your clothes, Peter. Get dressed. You got to put on your shoes because we're leaving. Here, put on your cloak. It's cold outside. By this time, I think Leroy's upset with him, don't you? And he went out and followed him. And he didn't know that what was being done by the angel was real. He thought he was just seeing a vision. Peter is so dead asleep. Now listen, I'm a heavy sleeper. You wake me up in the middle of the night, it's going to take me 30 minutes to know my name. Much less where I am, what's going on. And just, I don't expect anybody in this church to ever be in this position. But if I'm ever asleep and you are asked to wake me, don't touch me. I will come up swinging. I'm just telling you, that's just a nature of mine. I don't know what it is, but man, I just... So here's Peter, and he's just like groggy as all get out, you know, just stumbling behind the angel. And look what the angel does. He walks out. They pass the first and the second guard. Now, he's chained to two guards. Chains fall off. They don't wake up. I don't think they're asleep because they can't go to sleep. If they go to sleep, they're going to get put to death. So they're awake. And they're just sitting there. And as far as they know, Peter's still sitting there. And the angel takes him out. And then they walk out the door, and there's two guards there, and they walk through them. They come to the gate of the city, and it swings open. They go out from there. And he gets him outside, and Leroy goes, okay, I'm done. I'm not messing with you anymore. He leaves. So the angel's gone. You can call him anything you want. It could have been Gabriel. I don't know. But. So the angel leaves, and Peter wakes up finally like, ooh, it's chilly in this. Wait, I'm not in the cell. Where am I? That was real? I thought I was having a dream. Now, you might have had a dream you thought was real. Peter had a reality he thought was a dream. Kind of different, in it? And so Peter comes to himself, and notice what Peter does when he comes to himself. In verse 11, he comes to himself, and he said, I am sure the Lord sent his angel to rescue me from the hand of Herod and all that the Jewish people were expecting. You know, sometimes we'll try to make us the hero of our stories. <laughs> like, how'd, how'd you get that scar? Oh, man, I was lost in the city and I took a wrong turn and this gang jumped me and a guy had a knife and he cut me but I took him out and got the police there and they arrested him really you fell off your bike when you were 10 but that's the story you tell right <laughs> Peter gives glory to God instead he doesn't say yeah I showed them man I just I ripped those chains off I beat up those guards God gave me supernatural strength I just marched out no no he just dude I didn't even know what was happening I was asleep and God rescued me and he lets him know, you know, the only thing you contribute to your salvation 
is the sin that made it necessary. None of us have any reason to brag. All we have is to be humble and grateful before God. And notice what Peter does. And when he realized this, he goes to the house of Mary. The very first thing he does, God wakes him up the night before his execution, and he sends him out. And Peter goes straight to the praying church. Now, it's very interesting that the first house he went to was the right one. Because he knew they'd be there and he knew they'd be praying. They didn't have a church building. He couldn't come to the church. He had to go to somebody's house. And he knew Mary's going to be having church tonight regardless. And they're probably praying for me. I'm going to go to Mary's house. This is John Mark's mom. And he gets there and sure enough, they're there. I want to read you a quote from John Piper about prayer. I, I rediscovered this this week. And, and uh, I, I, God's timing is always good. And I, I wanted to put this in. John Piper said this. Prayer is primarily a wartime walkie-talkie for the mission of the church as it advances against the powers of darkness and unbelief. Great quote so far. Listen to it again. Prayer is primarily, not exclusively, primarily a wartime walkie-talkie for the mission of the church as it advances against the power of darkness, uh, powers of darkness and unbelief. Then he goes on to say, it is not surprising that prayer malfunctions when we try to make it a domestic intercom to call upstairs for more comfort in the den. Until you know that life is war, you cannot know what prayer is for. Prayer is for the accomplishment of a wartime mission. When we pray, friend, God put us here to do war against the powers of darkness. With the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that ought to be the focus of our prayer. What would happen if we had a prayer meeting. And you could only pray. Or contribute. Or ask for prayer. For somebody you're trying to lead to Christ. How much would we pray? What if the only prayer request you could give. Is how you're trying to be a witness at work. Not by just having a nice attitude. But by speaking to people about who Jesus is in your life. Or at school or wherever you might be. Prayer is for war. Because we can't do this war on our own. That we don't have the power. God's got to do it for us. And we see this illustrated in Peter who's a prisoner about to be executed. And God sets him free. No, no sweat for God. And so when we go to do the mission, we put ourselves in danger. That's just the fact. I got a friend that was a missionary in a place that I won't name. And that wasn't bad enough for him, so he went to a worse place. And I won't name either place he went, but the second place was worse than the first. And uh, he would sneak messages out. I, I don't know how he did it, but he would send information to his sister in a way that wouldn't get intercepted in America. And then his sister would send the letters out to the prayer partners. Uh, and my daughter does that with her sister. Uh, even now, even though they're not in that dangerous of a place, but it's dangerous enough. And her sister mails it out, but, but, or sends it on out. But in that second most dangerous place, he let us know, I've been arrested. And I've been arrested multiple times. And some people had asked him, did, you, did they beat you? Were you? He said, they never asked me the right question. So I was able to be set free every time. In other words, if they, because he had to be honest, he wasn't going to lie. So if they asked him, are you a missionary doing this? 
because he didn't look like a missionary. He had a job that didn't look like a missionary, but he was a missionary. And so they never asked him specific questions that would reveal who he was. Now, I've never been in that position, but that's what prayer is for. For people like that, for situations like that, it, it's for more than that. I, don't, don't misunderstand. I realize I said that kind of wrong. Because there's no prayer you can ask God for that he is not concerned. Because if it concerns you, it concerns God. But I'm just saying that primarily it is a wartime weapon that we have to engage. That's why it was given to us. So he goes to the right house. The church is there. He knocks on the door. And this is kind of the funny part of the story. We also know Mary is a person of means. She has a big enough house to have a lot of people there. She's got a servant girl. Servant girl goes out, goes to the gate door, says, who is it? Because they're meeting probably in secret. And it's Peter. Open the door. And Rhoda is her name. She gets so excited that Peter is there. She just goes flying back in the church. Hey, Peter's at the gate. And they went, can't be. We're in here praying for him. He's in prison. Weren't you listening? You ever pray that way? You pray so God gives an answer and you don't recognize it? Well, it might be because it wasn't what you thought he was going to do. I, the, the, the legendary story is about the town in Texas was having a drought. And the church said, let's get together and pray that God send rain. And a bunch of people showed up. And then the last guy came in carrying an umbrella. And when that guy prayed, it started raining. You know what I mean? Do you really expect God to answer your prayers? People go, well, not all of them. Well, that's why he does it. Because the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, in Christ, all the promises of God are yes. You might not be praying that God fulfill his promises. You might be praying for something to consume it on your own lust, according to James 1. But when we do ask, we don't get it because we ask amiss so that we can consume things on ourselves. Lord, bless me so I don't have to suffer. Bless me so I have an easy life. Bless me so I look good in front of other people. Instead of God, have your will in my life, have your way in my life, do your will through my life. If it costs me my life, if I suffer forever... It doesn't matter. I, I had another quote I read this week. I, I didn't bring it with me, so I'm not going to be able to quote it exactly. But Nate Saint, the pilot of the plane, when the five missionary guys were killed in South America in the 1950s, he said, people ask us, why are you wasting your life with these people? And he said, but they don't realize that they too are going to die. And when they die after living a life of self-absorption, they will be sorry for all the years they wasted. It's just a fact. No matter if we die, no matter if we suffer, we are in the hands of God. So Rhoda gets excited. She runs in. The people don't believe it. And by the way, in there it says, they said, well, maybe it's his angel. And, and th there's a lot of confusion about this. So let me fix this for you real quick. Angels are not people. They never were people. They never will be people. They are a different species and race altogether. They are not human at all. They are a spiritual being that can take on corporal form, but they are spiritual beings. We are physical beings, or we're spiritual beings, but we are given a physical body. So we have a physical form that will one day be transformed into a, a physical form that can change. Just as Jesus was after the resurrection, he could come through a locked door, be sitting there at the table, and then he'd leave, but it was a solid body. He said, touch it, feel it. I'm going to eat some fish, just show you I can eat. I'm, it's a physical body, but he could just disappear and be gone. So it's kind of weird. So whenever you say, oh, they're an angel now, no, they're not. They're either a saint or they're a sinner, but they're a person, and they're not an angel. Then also from this, you might think that, so you might think Peter, they thought Peter became an angel. That's not what they're thinking. In their day, what they thought was, rightly so, that we all have a guardian angel, which I believe we do. 
hence, you know, being able to drive the Chevrolet out of trouble. Um, but, but they believe that when you died, that guardian angel could take on your human form. Now, there is a reality to that, even though that's not what's happened or not what does happen. But there, here's the reality to that. That's what a ghost is. If you believe in ghosts or don't believe in ghosts, let me just tell you, the people that see ghosts, what they are seeing is a demon impersonating a dead person. That's what a ghost is. Because once you're dead, comes the judgment. You're either in heaven or hell. There's no spiritual form of you that hangs around this planet. All right? You're gone. And so to fool people, to lead people astray, the God of this world to blind their eyes, will let his demons appear as dead people to fool other people. So if you're into all that, just understand that you're playing with demons. All right? Um, I won't go any further than that because it just builds into curiosity. But, but that's what that is. So, but they, they thought that Peter's guardian angel had taken on his form to come to the house and go, Hey, I'm dead, but it's okay. I'll see you later and leave. And they said, Maybe it's his angel. She said, No, I'm telling you, it's Peter. He's knocking at the door. So they finally go and let him in. And when he comes in, listen... Peter's just been set free from prison, and they're going to kill him the next day. So he may have been looking over his shoulder. God may have delivered him, but he's no idiot. He's going to make sure. And so he's probably knocking like, would you open the door, man? I'm out here on the street exposed. Let me in. Let me in. So he goes in. They go, Peter, oh, wow. Ah! And they go, shh, be quiet. It says he quieted them. said, listen, I got to tell you something. So he tells them what happened. And then, again, just because of the way my brain works, it says then he departed and went somewhere else. You know what I believe? I believe they had an underground railroad going on. That, that's terms you can understand. And Luke doesn't want to rat the guy out. Because the house might have still been operating as a safe house for people running from political persecution as Christians to get out. And so Luke just goes, so Peter explained it and then he booked and he went somewhere else. That's all he says. I think that's interesting. But the point is that God answered their prayer. God heard their prayer, and he answered them. Well, you can bet what was going to happen happened. They look for Peter, can't find him. Soldiers get interviewed by Herod. Herod commands their death. And then Herod said, I need a vacation from these crazy people, and so he leaves. Next week, we're going to see Herod's death at the hand of God. Because remember, our God's a warrior. You know that old saying, that which does not kill you has made a tactical error. <laughs> I heard the lone survivor, Marcus Luttrell, say, if you try to kill a seal and don't, you've made a mistake because we're going to lay down, heal up, and then come kill you. That's how come he survived what he went through. Because they don't quit till they're dead. If you don't kill them, they're going to keep coming. Well, God is a warrior. And Herod's in his gun sights now, and he's going to get him. He's going to get him next week. But what can you do with today's sermon about this? Well, there's a lot of things. First of all, worrying is God's job. Cast all your care on him. Hebrews says, cast all your care on him, for he cares for you. And then later it says, but cast not away your confidence. So be confident in God. Don't worry. The Bible says, he that keeps Israel doesn't slumber nor sleep. It's a good nighttime prayer. Lord, since you're going to stay awake, I'm going to go to sleep. You got it handled. I couldn't handle it anyway. Good night. See you in the morning. And the Bible says, and he gives to his beloved, in their, gives them 
in their rest, in their sleep, he gives to us. He's always on the job. He never quits. And so don't worry about it because your worry won't change it. My dad was not a worrier. I don't think he was a worrier when I thought he ought to be. And he said, if it could be changed by worry, I'd do it. But worry is a wasted emotion. You're wasting your energy worrying because if you can do something about it, do it. If you can't, don't worry about it because you can't do anything about it anyway. And worrying ain't going to change it. That's God's job. Now, I say that, but I want you to put it in the context of your life. Because I don't know where you're hurting, suffering, have a need because we all have them. Don't worry about it. And it, it sounds trite to say it because we say it so much. Pray about it. But when I say pray about it, I mean put it in God's hands and let go. See, we go, yeah, you're not doing it right and pull it back, <laughs> right? We don't think God can control it. God can't handle it. God's not doing it the way he ought to do it. God can take care of it. And when we truly trust him, he will take care of it. And he'll take care of our worry. And you can sleep between two guards in a prison and a hard floor the night before your execution. Because to Peter, as Paul said later, doesn't matter. If I, to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I stay alive, I get to glorify Christ. If I die, I get to be with him. So you pick, because I don't care. I don't think most of us are in that place. I, I probably at this moment wouldn't be at that place. Unless death was imminent and real, then I think God would give me that kind of grace. But don't worry. Secondly, pray to the point of popping a muscle. I don't know how else to put it. Earnestly pray. If there is a need, pray. I mean, pray. Pray that you feel like, get other people to pray with you. I know sometimes there's some things you can't share because it might involve someone else and you can't tell their story, but, but you can ask, you can pray with somebody. Pray. And then pray immediately when somebody asks you to pray for them. So many times people say, would you pray about this? And we go, sure. And then we never do it. Somebody asks you to pray for them, say, okay, let's pray right now and just pray. And then make sure you give, proclaim the answer when God gives it. So many times God answers our prayers and we never give him credit like Peter did. Peter gave him credit. This is what God did. It was awesome. He gave credit to God. He goes to Mary's house. He gives credit to God. Then he goes off the scene to hide a little bit. But, but he gave glory to God. And so many times it might be because God didn't answer it the way we thought he would. It doesn't say, I'm not saying give God glory when it turns out the way you wanted it to. Give God glory when it turns out. However it turns out. You say, you know, I asked God to take this away, but he didn't. So glory to God, man, this is God's will for my life, and I am so excited about it. So that's crazy. Well, that's what it says in Thessalonians, give thanks in all things. Not just the good things, all things, because all things work together for his glory. So if it's bad on you, it, it ain't going to last forever. Sure, like when people don't like a song that Pastor Andy leads us in, they go, I just didn't like that song. Well, just wait three minutes, it'll be over. That's Paul's attitude to our life. He said, this is a momentary light affliction compared to the glory that's going to be revealed in Christ. So therefore, he said, I can endure like a soldier. I can get through this because if I die in it, great for me. If I don't die in it, God's going to get glory in my life and I'm willing to do that. And sometimes it takes a long, 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 long time to see what God's up to. Maybe sometimes never. The Bible says in Hebrews 11, some of the heroes of faith died never seeing the promise. But they never gave up on it. They never quit on it. And God got glory. 